in, I believe, tonight is our Halloween episode, Leon. Hallow Night's Eve. That's correct. All Hallows Eve. The night before All Hallows Day, also referred to as Dia de los Muertos, for those of you that enjoyed the film Coco. You know, I, the older I get, the more I start leaning towards that holiday because it makes more sense to me. Mm-hmm. Halloween still, I can't wrap my head around, except for when you're a kid, it's like the most glorious thing of all time. It is. It is. Speaking of glory, do you know what number episode this is, Leon? Uh, we've got to be in the 60s. That's right. Episode 66. Execute order 66. <laughs> Let's start the show. podcast i'm your host danny paul joining me in the bob media studios is the baron of bourbon the regent of rage leon coventry ladies and gentlemen danny how do you how i think i can't be the regent of rage when there's so much glorious candy on everyone's desks that you walk by these days that's right so what are you going to be you're going to be the the Region of stretch pants, maybe? <laughs> of the of the fourth wipe and the, the wizard toilet? of the elastic waistband? <laughs> the Sultan of Sweats. Oh Donson. Oh, oh my gosh. I love this season. It's perfectly placed for the people in the Midwest that have to go through a winter, but it does not make sense for us in the desert, does it? And uh, I mean, it's, it's kind of technically it's sweater weather, I guess one could say if one were so. No, no, I don't know who, whoever those people are and you talk to them. It is still ridiculously hot. I gotta tell you, for those of you in the Phoenix region, the high was 90 today and it's currently 72 outside. So October, or as I like to say, Rocktober out here in Phoenix is the time and place to be. So if any of you want to come to the desert, but you're afraid of being on the surface of the sun or being bone chilling cold at night, come out in October. Talk to me about um, early February, because I would really love to come out and do a special show for the Phoenix Open. A special show. just got named by the PGA as one of their new massive pay, pay uh, payouts. You know, they're that, trying to comp- compete with the live. Yes. TPC Scott still. Yeah, for sure. Yep. Uh, I want to say it's in the seventies, mid seventies in the heat of the day. And then it gets down probably to the fifties at night. It's not uncommon to have 20 degree swings in the Phoenix area. Uh, like it is not, this is one of the features out here. So if it's really nice during the day, you can bet it's, it's cold at night. And if it's really hot during the day, you can bet it's awesome at night. Are you offering up floor space to good Uh, friends and co-hosts? I have many, many couches. I have a plethora of couches at Wapo. <laughs> Ify, what is a plethora? What is a plethora? We got a great show tonight, Leon. You know why? Because every show at the Bottle of Brown podcast is a great show. They get a little bit better when Mr. Jones doesn't come too. Yeah, I mean, we, he just... we are without Mr. Jones tonight for those of you at home paying attention. But that's okay. We got a good show today because we're going to talk about <laughs> what is an IPA. We're going, to, uh, we're going to talk about how the United States has regained all the jobs it lost during the pandemic. We've mm-hmm, got mm-hmm. Uh, a fun little thing about uh, a gourd among men. Firefighters had a little trouble in Florida, which again, why we like Florida. Uh, when you become a dad, your brain shrinks. And we're going to finish mm-hmm. up with a load from Mr. Leon and the bottom of the bottle. So before we kick things off, man, what's brown for tonight? You know, I went tonight with um, what I think is a pretty good one, and it's also pretty easy to find. Four Roses Single Barrel. It's uh, You usually can find it in one uh, of your local stores. It's uh, pretty fairly priced. This one's uh, about 100 per, 
Mm-hmm. And it's really good. It's it's definitely the upscale version of their Four Roses. And they have better ones than this one, but it's right in the middle of the road. So easy single to get, barrel, not that expensive, single barrel Four right? Roses. Is that correct? Yeah, it was in there. Yep. That was easy. Right. <laughs> How about you? I would be rocking my tried and true green label this time. So ah. those of you keeping score at home. Leon's go-to is the Buffalo Trace. Danny's go-to is the Green Label from the Johnniest of Walkers. Do we know what Mr. Jones's go-to is? Has he ever identified one? I don't think that he has. But, you know, with the uh, communications he's he's been sending, I feel like he's becoming a Buffalo Trace man. I just don't know which flavor is his favorite. It seems like every time he buys something. He he keeps stumbling on Wellers and Colonel Taylor and this magic Safeway of his. I know. I'm, I got to go to this pilgrimage to that Safeway because apparently the the aisles are littered in gold. Yeah i i i I hope every time I go into a Target or a thrifty or, or if there's even left, go in there and just find that golden bottle that nobody has any idea how how glorious it is. And Truth Mr. Told, Jobs just keeps being the guy. Oh, it's, it is. And it's very low priced. Like it's very rarely going to be more than 35 bucks a bottle. So it's, if you see it, it'd be hard for you to, uh, unless you know what you're looking for to, to know that that's pretty unique. I think that's the fun Tough part to if you know what you're looking for. Cause he pulled home, uh, what did he send us? He sent us a message saying he couldn't join us tonight, but he got a couple of pickups of the Colonel. Yep. 40 at 42 bucks or something a bottle. Oh, what a steal. That's the fun part of being a bourbon hunter. You know what you know what you're doing. Yep. The kill. <laughs> it's the kill. The Let's talk about brown. And the kill. I'm with you. Now that we talked about brown. Talk about brown. How you doing? Whiskey and whiskey. This is the darkest brown you got. Yeah. Say home's up. Where they hiding the scotch? What about um Brown. That's code for bourbon. Great stuff, this bourbon. Comes from a land called Kentucky. Talk about brown. There's a special rung in hell reserved for people who waste good scotch. Scotch? Oh, yes, I, I think so. Can I have one more of these with some booze in it, please? Nice talk about brown. Comes to us from the USA Today. Real news, people. Comes to us from <laughs> October 11th. Been holding on to this for a little over a week. But uh, I, is there a, would you say there's a Halloween brown? Leon, I don't know that I would designate it with Halloween, but all the Oktoberfest ales that are out there right. that come around this time of year, yeah, that's you know, I, I guess I associate those with it. Last, I would last also month, say September is typically national or international bourbon month, and we celebrated last month with bourbon. Uh, it yeah. would make sense because of Oktoberfest that beer of any kind is probably the drink of October, and so. In the spirit of Oktoberfest and beer, let's talk about what an IPA is. Uh, The article opens up, what is an IPA? Explaining the beer and its subcategories, Imperial, Hazy, Session. In 2021, enough beer was shipped by the U.S. beer industry to fill more than 2.9 billion cases, according to the National Beer Wholesalers Association. But not all beer is created equal. With ales, lagers, and so many subcategories within each, two types of beer can taste wildly different, which can make buying beer intimidating for the average consumer. Walking through a liquor store in search of a new and interesting six-pack can be confusing because of the complex jargon common in the beer industry, but we have the information you need. First off, Liam, what is an IPA? Uh, I believe it stands, or at least I always thought it was an India, India pale ale or Indiana India pale ale. Pale ale, sir. You are correct. Right. It comes from the country of India. Yep. Okay. I and got that right. That is because this was a journey from Britain to India and the hops in, during that journey, which we'll get to in the following text. But it is India. Pale ale, not Indian pale ale, not independent pale ale, not individual pale ale. For those of you paying attention, this has to do with colonization, my friends. Everyone's favorite subject. Before we get too deep in this, are you an IPA fan? I do like IPAs. Yeah. I can't have I more avoid- than a couple, though. You end up scraping them off yeah. your tongue. However, 
at the bottom of the article, we do address the session IPA, and that mm-hmm. is Danny's Jam. Oh, okay. I uh, I avoid them like the plague. I I can't even pretend to enjoy one anymore. I, there was there was a time when I wanted to be one of the cool guys, you know, when everyone's ordering those. And then, uh, you know, as you get older and you stop giving a fuck what people think about you or what you drink, I was very quick to say that tastes like snot. Very much like how our good friend Ted Lasso feels about tea. That's how mm. I feel about IPA. Dirty brown water? Dirty brown water. That's disgusting. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Well, now that we've established our point counterpoint, Jane, you ignorant slut. The history of the term dates back to the British Empire and its colonies, but if you ask Stone Brewing, today's IPA is a different beast. Today, American IPAs are around 6 to 7% alcohol by volume, and while there are many types, Stone Brewing says they are most easily recognized by their hoppy flavor. Now, hop, hops, plural, lots of hops. What are hops? According to Sierra Nevada Brewing Company, which is one of my favorites for sure, hops mm-hmm. are green cone-shaped flowers that come from a plant called Humulus lupulus. Pods and glands in the flower create the bitterness, aroma, and flavor of an IPA. Hops, according yeah, you got to Ryan super loud all of is one of like, like four ingredients for true beer, right? Yeah. So you get a very distinct flavor. You get a very distinct smell out of it. And uh, there's often a citrusy feel to it. So it is, it is a plant. So it is, uh, it is a very specific type of beer that is made with hops. So there are a couple of the three that we're going to talk about today are Imperial, Hazy, and Session. Session being my personal favorite. The one that okay. you're probably familiar with the most, Leon, is the Imperial because that's the one you got to scrape off your tongue. Mm-hmm. An Imperial IPA, also known as a double, Tends to be at least 8% alcohol by volume, according to Stone. This beer is darker and more bitter than a traditional IPA. When an Imperial IPA reaches 10% or higher, it may also be called a triple, and in some cases, a barley wine. We used to get a six-pack of Bigfoot Ale. Oh, was I remember one that Bigfoot. Sierra Nevada made every winter. You remember that one? It was like 9%. They had to call it a barley wine because I guess they couldn't advertise it as a beer. You could take mm-hmm. three of those for the weekend. Like that thing was oh, awesome. Yeah. yeah, I've had those. And yeah I, yeah, I could never drink one sober. I had to be drunk to even try oh. to get that thing down. I remember you when had, it was... I think you had to drink it with a spoon. It was, it was thick for sure. It was, it was a smoothie. But you'd get a six and you'd be good for the weekend. So it's like, let's get a six of Sasquatch. We don't have any money. We'll just drink that six over the course of the weekend. After the <laughs> Imperial comes the Hazy. IPA. Now, hazy IPAs are a bit of a wild card and can be in any range in terms of alcohol by volume. But this type of IPA is distinguished by its unfiltered, less bitter taste. And typically, a hazy IPA is one where, like, you don't ever want to shake a beer, right? But if you can kind of, you know, lightly rock it back and forth, you'll see that it's not filtered and it's not, it's actually got, it's got essence of, of beer in it, almost like, um, I'm not even know what to what to refer to it, but it's not just a liquid. I mean, there is actual sediment, like the in mash is in there. A hazy, maybe the mash, right? So it's, mm. but it's in the bottle. You can see it. Hmm. Now, the third category, which I've said many times, is my favorite. I'm going to keep saying it till the end of the day. Is the session, the session IPA by definition is four or five percent alcohol by volume. The session would go up against some of your tried and true favorites like Corona or Coors Light. Budweiser, your table beers, right? And they're known as session IPAs because you can have more than one in a session with friends due to their relatively low alcohol by volume. And so I typically get sessions. My favorite beer is the Daily Driver from Mother Road Brewing Company out of Flagstaff, Arizona, because it tastes like an IPA, but it isn't. You can have a couple of them and enjoy yourself. And, you know, I I enjoy the drinking experience without having to worry about, you know, can I drive home or not? And so that's usually where I come down on the session. But you, Leon, are not an IPA man, as it were, Mm -hmm. heretofore. If I was to pick one, it would have been the first one because the only reason I'd ever be drinking an IPA is to get drunk because it certainly isn't for the taste. So I'd be far away from the session because... 
that tastes like dirt. Clearly not for you. Yeah, I'm a Pilsner guy. You know, I, uh-huh. I like I like the lighter and I do like uh, the hefts. I like a weedy, uh, blue moony type of beer. Uh, actually, you know what disappoints me about California? And I don't even know what you call this category, but you know how uh, you, you heard a line of Kugel, right? Mm-hmm. And they have the summer shanty, which is basically yeah, shanty. That's good. Beer, beer, lemonade. That is what you should be drinking in the summer. That is phenomenal. It is delicious, isn't it? Yeah. That's that's the kind of beer I like to drink if I'm drinking beer. I'm told that's Although, a very Wisconsin beer. Yeah. Well that's summer and, shandy. It, yeah, it is definitely that. And you get up in the you get up in the Midwest there in the Indiana and Ohio and area. You're you're drinking in Michigan, you're drinking Oberon, you know, you're drinking uh you know, those kinds of, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call them heavier, heavier beers. They're, they're still wheat. They're not hoppy. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, they're, they're good. Yingling, you know, those types of beers. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm a Yingling. fan of those, not the, the hoppy kind. And uh, there's a Pilsner, there's a stout, there's a lager, there's an ale, multiple different kinds of ale. So this is, we've been talking about American India pale ales, but there's traditional India pale ale. Uh, what am I missing? You talked about the Hefeweizen. You talked about the Shandy. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's got to be at least six, maybe eight categories of beer. And then, of course, sub-variants of all of them. So there is a beer out there for you, if you're listening. Mm-hmm. Well, as an IPA drinker, and it sounds like when you're drinking a beer, if you had a choice of a beer, you're in one of those tap rooms that has 100 taps. Sounds to me like you're going for the IPA. I would go uh, for the which, IPA, right? Which a lot of people do that consider themselves uh, distinguished drinkers seem to go for the IPA. What do you think of people like me uh, that choose not to drink the IPA? Do you have judgment uh, against I us? I think that I would invite you because then I would get to drink more of my beer. Mm-hmm. And so the great beer <sighs> mishmash invites all kinds because then there's more for everybody. Uh, there is a kind so you, that I'm looking for. You do not, that, you do not bite your teeth at me, sir. Absolutely not. I do not bite my thumb at you, sir. I do, but bite my but thumb. I, you do, but do you bite your thumb at me, sir? I do, but bite my thumb, sir. I do not bite my thumb at you, sir. <laughs> Good job. Romeo and Juliet, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Danny and Leon Theater. <laughs> No, I, I invite uh, I invite all kinds. But if I had to choose, I would choose a session IPA because it's got flavor and it's got light. And those are a good mishmash of things. Because what I find is some of the lighter versions, like an IPA, you can let an IPA sit. And if it kind of, if it gets less cool, I don't want to say warm because that's not right. If it gets less cool, it's still good and it's still refreshing. But some of the lighter beers, I think you have to drink them while they're cold. Now, there's mm-hmm. one that I'm looking for that's extremely dry which means it's got a lot of bubbles and it scrapes your throat on the way down. And I think a lot of Belgian beers are like that. Mm. What, what would you consider or, or what is Guinness considered? What is that? I believe Guinness is a stout. Okay. Which makes, makes it very milkshakey. Yeah. So if it's right. dark, if it's thick, if it's got really, really rich foam, I, I believe that's referred to as a stout. Okay. So you're a Pilsner stout man. I'm a Pilsner Stout Hefeweizen man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I am. Yeah, and honestly, let's go back to Farva. Six Schlitzes, whatever's free. <laughs> no, in college, it was whatever somebody handed to me, I would have drank it, of yeah, course. Yeah, it was but. like, it was, it was, it was, I got a house cup. All right, whatever, what are we drinking? Yeah, what's in the keg? Yeah, I'll have that. <laughs> whatever's yeah. there. I'll have, I'll have what she's having. Okay. Keg it is. But I... IPAs are expensive, so going to a keg party with an IPA is almost no, a no, no. I mean, you don't, you don't. No, an IPA is to be is to be enjoyed. Like you never play Edward Forty Hands with IPA. Like it's just there. There are rules. No beer here. pong. No beer pong. You don't play beer pong with IPAs. No IPAs. Like that's why I consider it in the category of brown. It's you sip it. You don't. You don't shoot it. Mm-hmm. There's no pounding of an IPA because one, you don't get to enjoy it, and two, it's expensive. Mm-hmm. Typical IPA okay. is usually more expensive than your than your beer bong and beer. Why do you think so? It is known. Well, it is known. Is my, it more expensive to make? There's, there's more that goes into the process. Yeah, the reason hmm. they call them craft beers is typically because they're made in smaller quantities. 
So your mass produced beer, which is not bad. I'm not, I'm not shitting on the Coors Lights of the world, but they have their place and they have their purpose. Like I, I will not drink an Imperial IPA in the summer. Absolutely yeah. not. Yeah. That makes sense. All right. We all learned something today. Mm-hmm. 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 Which is good. That's why, that's why the Bobs come here to learn. That's where, the, that's where they come. They come for the knowledge. Mm-hmm. They stay for the joy. <laughs> and we'll be right back. I do, but bite my thumb, sir. <laughs> I say that you are a villain. <laughs> and that thou art a Capulet. I love that you picked that up so quick. <laughs> Nobody else would have possibly caught that reference. <laughs> Did I say <laughs> Queen Mab hath been with you? <laughs> Welcome back. Let's get into business news. News team, assemble! Let's get down. And I got news for you. Nice business news comes to us from Business Insider. This one's a little older, Leon. I grabbed this one from August. So we are recording this 20th of October. Uh, It's Big Sal's birthday today. Did you say happy birthday, Big Sal? I did. Very good, man. Uh, I, I wonder if there are slight changes from this because it seems fairly clear that we are headed into a recession. So probably somewhere in the eighties or nineties. We're in one. What are you talking about? I don't know. Who cares? I got a job. You get a job. My investments are still making money. Yeah. Not my 401k. Let's let's let give somebody a shoulder to cry on because recessions suck. Uh, However, according to August 5th, Business Insider, the United States has now regained all the jobs it lost in the pandemic. The U.S. has recouped all of its jobs it lost during the coronavirus recession. The rebound took 29 months, nearly three times faster than the recovery from the Great Recession in 2008. Unemployment also sits at the same 3.5% rate the U.S. boasted in early 2020. The article begins, after 29 months of economic recovery, the United States has recouped every job lost during the coronavirus recession. The U.S. added 528,000 non-farm payrolls in July, marking the largest one-month gain since February 2022, more than doubling the average forecast. The economy now boasts roughly 152 million jobs. That's 32,000 more payrolls than in February 2020, which marked the labor market's peak before the coronavirus pandemic erased roughly 22 million jobs in just two months. The unemployment rate also returned to its pre-pandemic record, sliding through July to 3.5% from 3.6. That means the U.S. is back to a record high number of jobs. The achievement is the latest to mark the extraordinary pace of the pandemic recovery. Massive government stimulus, vaccine rollouts, and the swift reopening of the economy all contributed to a superlative rebound, rebound? rebound over the past two years. While some data shows the pace of improvement easing, the latest jobs data caps one of the fastest labor market recoveries in modern history. And there's a graph on this. Like always, we share the links in the show notes. This one has a very exciting, would you even call that a V-shaped graph, Leon? Uh, yeah, it's, it like looks almost more pops. like a check mark. Yeah. But can you, can in modern history where data was collected like this where we actually had some idea which still i call bullshit on almost all of these statistics because i don't know how they even pull the numbers qualify the numbers all that being said uh, i think that uh of course it has to right because this was an artificial shutdown this didn't happen because the war blew up one of uh, a city Right. It didn't Mm -hmm. it didn't happen because uh, a massive amount of the population died at the plague. It it was an absolute artificial shutdown. So why wouldn't you expect the artificial turn back on to to have a rebound like this? Mm -hmm. I would have been Mm -hmm. incredibly disappointed, not to mention the incredible influx of funds, you know, from the government to 
keep businesses alive that otherwise would have folded. So I, I understand uh, that we would have expected that. I still don't. I'm apprehensive when numbers like this come down the pipe because I think, what was it like two months ago when we started, started to have a semi-political conversation and uh, I'm just big, big surprise everyone out there. I'm a big skeptic when it comes to data because, uh, you know, I, we've already talked about it, like only one one hundredth of this planet knows how to use Excel properly. So uh, I, I don't know where the, I don't know where they're getting the data. I don't know how they're qualifying the data. I don't know what data they're leaving out. Uh, it, this this kind of data can be so easily skewed uh, just to tell the right story. Uh, and I would also say, when did this story come out? This is uh, August fifth. Okay, August fifth. So, so that actually makes ago. me feel it makes me feel a little bit better about it because uh, yeah, it I would the say of labor, Bureau of Labor Statistics from the Federal Reserve. Any statistics, any numbers, anything that's coming out in the next three to four weeks—actually, three weeks, really—at this point, be skeptical of it because there's a lot of information on all political sides coming out right now. So that they can try to win an election, and it really isn't going to do. Right, it was we should talk good. about this stuff in November. Well, yeah, I mean we're coming up on it, but I think you know it doesn't matter what side you fall on. A lot of information is being pumped out from both sides right now to tell you how either great the incumbent's doing or how terrible the incumbent's doing uh, for whatever reason, and shining light on it. And I will tell you. As a analyst by trade, I can make any amount of data look good or bad and not be tell and tell you the absolute truth. So just be careful what you start to believe out there. And and like I said six months ago, start to believe your eyes. Believe what you see, believe what experiences you're experiencing. And and don't let everybody interpolate it for you. That's that's all I can tell you because the information's coming at us so damn fast. Who knows what's accurate? Who knows what a true source is anymore? Right. And we'll all find out the truth later, right? Because it's easier to look back after everybody's had retractions. Mm-hmm. The article continues further. The jobs market is likely still millions of jobs shy of where it would have been absent the pandemic. The recovery only brings the U.S. to its pre-crisis employment level meaning there are 29 months of job creation that would have taken place had the pandemic not occurred. In the year before the pandemic hit in February 2020, the U.S. added an average of about 200,000 jobs a month. And if it had kept up that pace over the last two and a half years, the country would have added nearly 6 million jobs. It will take several more months, if not years, to make up for that lost growth, though the larger-than-expected July gain suggests the U.S. will continue to add payrolls at a healthy clip through 2022. And for those of you keeping score, inflation has not abated despite the continuing increase in rates from the Federal Reserve. So it's uh, a weird time, to say the least. Well, A, if it's if it is true and genuine in the way and, and unbiased in the way that they're presenting the data, then I'm I'm psyched about it. Uh, but I don't know. I feel like I maybe I'm just in a state that's not seeing that. I'm not seeing it here. It's possible. They do not give it here. a variety of different sources that you can actually mouse over and you can see what the curve looks like. So the the best one, obviously, is the 2020 coronavirus recession. And as you aptly pointed out, Leon, it was artificial. The one from the Great Recession in 2007 is the nastiest. It drops mm -hmm. very low and it takes forever to get back to zero. Mm -hmm. The next one that was as bad was the dot-com crash in 2001. That was rough. And some yeah. of these other recessions that you see, uh, they came here. They got 81, 1957, 1990, 1960, 1973, 1970, and 1980. All of them had very sharp declines, followed by fairly robust returns. And so you have, you have a pretty even V, um, and in some cases, a bit of a U-shape. But you can see that it came back roughly as bad as it went down 
And with most recessions, it's just a matter of where is the bottom. So some have said that this is a white collar recession. Some have said that this is a, a he session or a she session. And so it doesn't seem to be shaping up to be an all across the board thing. But uh, to Leon's point, we won't know yet. So we'll have to keep track of the story and come back to it. That's Brown News. Let's get to the crank file. I could look for something in the crank file. Crank file. Whatever. Today's crank file comes to us from the Today Show. And because this is a <laughs> Halloween episode, I wanted to do this one special. A gourd among men. 60-year-old <laughs> paddles 38 miles in hollowed-out pumpkin to break the world record. I would like to remind all the Bobs out there that you can go... Uh, Danny, you, you'll tell them the link uh, again, but you can go to and see this man in a giant a pumpkin, I guess. Yeah, looks like he's sitting on a pumpkin. cooler, so at least you brought beer with him. Yeah, yeah. And he's paddling down the river. It's something I think yeah. you need to see. It's going to make you paddle. Got his uh, water skiing vest, got his camo Cabela's hat. He's, uh, he's living his best life. You, you know, he's missing a fishing pole. I think you are correct, sir, but you never know what's down here because we can't see the entire gourd. Fair enough. That's a big gourd. Dwayne Hansen of Nebraska paddled 38 miles down the Missouri River in an 846-pound pumpkin he affectionately named the SS Berta. For one Nebraska man, all it takes is a little ingenuity and a big load of fertilizer to reach your dreams. On August 27, two official witnesses, friends, and family watched as Nebraska resident Dwayne Hansen paddled an 846-pound floating pumpkin. Of course, his pumpkin. name is Dwayne. Of course, his name is Dwayne. He is a white Dwayne, but he is still a Dwayne. <laughs> he is wearing a camel hat, so it might be hard to find him. Go ahead. <laughs> paddled an 846-pound floating pumpkin down the Missouri River in an attempt to beat the Guinness World Record. All right. <clears throat> From a... Facebook post from the city of Bellevue. They say if you stay in your job long enough, you might see just about everything. And this morning was one of them days. <laughs> According to the post, Hanson walked into the mayor's office the morning of August 25th and asked if two people from Bellevue City Hall would serve as official witnesses for his effort to complete a unique feat. Hanson aimed to be recognized by Guinness World Records for breaking the world record for longest journey by pumpkin boat. A record currently held by Rick Swenson of Grand Forks, North Dakota. How pissed is Rick Swenson right now? How pissed? Indeed. Uh, we need an interview from Rick. We Rick, if you're Rick one then, of the bobs out sure. there, or I would sure. like to talk. I'd like Rick to hear Swenson how Rick of Grand Forks, that. North Dakota bobs. Send them our way. Bottle of Brown is email.com. 602-529-4562. In 2016, <laughs> Swenson managed to paddle for 25.5 miles, a distance Hanson believed he could beat. We were surprised when we saw the hollowed out pumpkin and realized that he would be sitting in the pumpkin for 11 hours while floating down the Missouri River, Phil Davidson, who works in the community relations for the city of Bellevue, told today. Davidson served as one of Hansen's official witnesses for the event, along with Lisa Rybar, a Bellevue Community Foundation board member. Rybar and Davidson originally thought Hansen intended to float an intact giant pumpkin for over 30 miles. In the Facebook post, they said it wasn't until later in the conversation that they realized that Hansen, who had just celebrated his 60th birthday, would actually be physically riding in the pumpkin. <laughs> Once you have a goal like that and you're so close, there's no way I was quitting, Hansen told today. When I went down that river for a long way, it was tough. I was done, but I was determined. Hansen said he loved growing squashes and gourds all his life and a few years ago became interested in growing giant pumpkins. You have a lot of failures growing giant pumpkins. I mean, I thought I could grow stuff. I thought I could grow anything. Well, he's humble you. Hansen had some success, three, four, or 500 pounders, but wanting to reach at least a ton Heaviest pumpkin ever recorded was a whopping 2,700 pounds. He went to a giant pumpkin growing seminar to bone up on his gourd growing. He came up with the idea to break the record around the same time he even learned that giant pumpkin boat paddling was a thing. About five years ago, I went to Portland, Oregon to a giant pumpkin growing seminar, and there was a picture of this lady. I don't remember how far she went down a river, but you know, it was a fair amount of miles, like 12. And I looked at that and thought, wow, I didn't even know there was such a thing. 
You know, this story makes me wonder what I'm doing with my life. I mean, this man looked at a picture of a pumpkin boat and a lady and said, I'm going to do that. I can do that. I'm going to achieve that. And he grew a massive pumpkin. He went to school, learned how to do it. And he made his dream come true. Yeah, this is American um, hero. From Bellevue, Nebraska, all the way to Oregon to learn about mm-hmm. gourd growing, to Portland, Oregon, back to Bellevue. Mm-hmm. And this one here is, this is, this is the coup de grace right here. Once you're on the river, that damn thing was so tippy. It was unbelievable. It was like riding in a cork. You just could tip over any second. You're using your oh, balance shit. the whole time. I've never paid so much attention to any one thing in my entire life. Other than growing <laughs> an 800-pound pumpkin. <laughs> I can't believe it. So, congratulations, Dwayne, for smashing the world record. Says congratulations, Dwayne. Yeah. If, and if Rick sir. wants to call in and, and weigh in on this and and uh, and feel like that he needs to challenge this record and that's his new life goal, yeah, I want to be there on site when that happens. Final picture, Dwayne Hansen and his giant pumpkin, SS Berta, complete with a beer holder. Yeah, I'll let him live. You gotta have a place for your beer. Impressive man. Yeah. Well done. Hero. Sir. I don't use that word lightly, but hero. Yeah, he did it. He had to pull this thing down in what looks like a jet ski trailer. <laughs> Good times. <laughs> exactly. That wraps up the crank file. Let's get to Because Florida. Because Tonight's Because Florida comes to us from our old friends at the Post. Firefighters free sobbing woman after she gets trapped in an electric massage chair. (laughs) I mean, this is just a great, great headline. Even if it's not, even if it's clickbait, I got to know what's going on here. We're not really keeping track of where these are in Florida. This is actually on the West Coast. This is Gulf Sides. This is Naples. Firefighters in Florida cut open an electric massage chair last week after a woman's foot got stuck in it. The Naples Fire Rescue Department posted video to its social media on Friday that shows crews working to rescue the woman as she howls in pain. Firefighters cut the power to the machine and began to take it apart. Crews used a grinder to take apart the steel rods that hold the rollers in place. As rescuers tried to free the woman's foot, video shows that it appeared to be wedged in the machine. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. She can be heard screaming. We got it. Firefighters heard saying as they pull her foot from the machine, it was cramped in that spot. (laughs) (laughs) Officials said the woman was evaluated for injuries at the scene and released. Her identity was not released. But only in Florida. You know, have you ever done, you know, the... uh, Costco, sit down in one of those massage chairs or I like sharper the ones image that vibrate like or, a toothbrush. I don't like the ones with the artificial rollers because I think I can see how she got stuck. Well, the ones that are like now that the cocoon kind where you kind of get in there, the, the thing leans back, massages your arms, your legs, your calf, your feet. Mm-hmm. Oh, I definitely could see because sometimes it's squeezing with, with some authority. I, I could see that yeah, happening. With authority is a good one. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. So I, I could see that happening. But also what's interesting here is of all the Bobs listening to this story, and I would say easily 99.5% of people reading this article, did anyone feel bad for this person? <laughs> Nobody feels bad for a person <laughs> that got squeezed. Nobody feels bad for you. It's like, <laughs> you know, this person got a burn from burning their money. Like, no, nobody feels bad from you. So it's it's just definitely one of those things that we laugh at and you have to laugh at yourself. You A massage chair hurt you. Mas- let's, let me say that again. A massage chair hurt you. That's hilarious. That's, I don't care who you are. That's hilarious. I mean, they've got fixed movements. So it's not like... That's the part that interests me now is that those massage chairs have very fixed movements because the idea is... 
it's only supposed to push on you. So at some point you've got these two little pins that kind of go on this little rotating, you know, trajectory, right? At some point Mm -hmm. the pins went down back up and over and trapped her foot. And I got to think what she's got to have a pretty big foot then, right? Cause we can't see this girl. We can't, we can't see what we're working with here, but those pins are designed to just lightly rub around the edges. And if your foot got stuck, then I, my understanding is that the pins probably went through their cycle and stopped at the top, in which case they would create kind of a, you know, like a pincher movement. And so you couldn't get out, but it's not supposed to be, I mean, think about what would require, think about the space that, that would be needed to trap a foot. And that's not something that any massage chair manufacturer is going to allow. You got to get the average size foot out of there. So what kind of leg are we talking about here? A fat one is what you're I mean, saying. I think that was a lot of words to say that that is a fat about, ass foot. talking about ham? What are we, what are we, uh, swollen, Look, swollen let's... ass ankles, as Bernie used to say. Is that what we're going for here? I had to hit the ball off of Frankenstein's fat foot. That's that's what's going on there. That is hey, a I'll go eat some hay. That's Hang a down huge by the bench. I just may. That is hilarious. And of course it happened in Florida. And that's amazing. And I think this was a really good find, Danny. <laughs> I well, think because hey. Florida. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's get into parenting. We can make kids right now. That's why we're here. It's not the years. It's the mileage. Nice parenting comes to us from The Economist. This is a long one, Leon, so I'm going to kind of skim it in the interest of mm-hmm. getting to the truth of the matter. But uh, I did read this before just to make sure that we were prepared for this discussion. And this is science, my friend. This is not mumbo jumbo. This actually comes to us from doctors in the medical field. It's hardly surprising that pregnancy and childbirth, nine months of enormous changes to a woman's body also change her brain. And they do by causing certain parts of it to shrink. Fathers, it might be thought, would be unaffected. But no, there is evidence that their brains shrink too. A paper published in Cerebral Cortex by Magdalena Martinez Garcia of the Gregorio Marañón Health Research Institute in Madrid and her colleagues divulges the details. Spanish people, Leon, the Spanish. They can't be trusted. (laughs) The researchers use the scans to compare the volume and thickness of the cerebral cortex, the part of the brain responsible inter many alia for things like sensory perception, language, and cognition with that of the subcortex, a disparate collection of structures such as the hippocampus and the amygdala. They confirmed that there is a small but consistent decrease in the volume of the cortices of new fathers after the birth of their child. This shrinkage is not, however, evenly distributed. The biggest reductions are in the area at the back of the cortex where information from the retina is processed and interpreted, and in the default mode network, a piece of neural circuitry distributed between three different cortical areas, which is associated with daydreaming, mind wandering, and thinking about the self. And others got ah, that, Leon. So this is a Come genetic a thing. You go under the mic, the mic, the magnifying glass. You burn ants, buddy. Yep. Ah, is that what you know? I didn't interpret it that way. I feel like what it was just saying is you don't get to daydream anymore and dream about better times. It's making you focus on your kid. Is that, is that what it's saying? I think that's an evolutionary thing of the dads yeah. that did not experience this shrinking of the hippocampus, right? Have the court reporter read back the testimony? (laughs) That's correct. Yep, hippocampus. The cerebral cortex. The cerebral cortex actually shrinks. Now, the subcortex, which includes the hippocampus involved in long-term memory and the amygdala, which regulates fear, those are not affected. But the hippocampus, the back of the hippocampus actually shrinks. So what you worry about is you lose daydreaming, mind wandering, and thinking about the self and others. And so what happens is, evolutionarily speaking, when you become a father, 
you actually become laser focused on your children. That to me makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that's interesting. The article Which goes also, on. Which also, wait, can I, can I chime in say, there? I say, feel say, like, you say, say what you're going to say. Say. You could say I something. Mean, how, many, how many times have you heard this bullshit thing that says, you know, that women have the attachment to a child much differently than a men do. Now I, that I do agree, right? Because they gave birth to the child and what have you. And the moms are amazing and incredible. And what they do is unfathomable, but there's also this misconception that there isn't a direct connection or biological thing that happens when you're a dad. It's almost as if you just keep hearing, you drop your seed, you either stick around for the kid or you don't, but you're not really, as attached as the mom, you know, that's, that's a thing. This is telling you, no, no. When the kid comes out, the, the, the men also go through a biological change, turning them into dads. And I think this is, there's something to it. I think keep going. I'm interested. Uh, They found that postpartum changes in brain volume predicted both how attached a mother felt to her child and the absence of otherwise or hostility to it. That's in the shrinking in the mother's brain. Examination of the Spanish fathers in Dr. Martinez Garcia's study by measuring their brain activity while they looked at pictures of both their own baby and other infants found a similar effect. It showed that those with the largest reductions in brain volume had the strongest MRI responses to images of their own children. Determining exactly how these pro-parental neural changes come in about in men is way beyond the current skill of neuroscience, but it is intriguing to observe that at least in the case of Homo sapiens, a rare example of a mammal in which fathers as well as mothers nurture offspring, similar postpartum parental attitudes seem to be getting wired into both sexes. Hey, it is. Now, I find that interesting because uh, I want to quote Jay Moore on this one as he says, this is the first generation of, I love you dads. The idea that 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 the dad is around, that the dad is interested, that the dad is not only consumed with breadwinning and and protection and maintaining the the finances of the family. Like we're the first generation that's like, no, I love the kid. I'll I'll take it. You know, mm-hmm. the idea that when the mother leaves the kids with dad, dad's not babysitting them. Those are dad's kids. You know, he's he's doing he's doing what he's supposed to, you know, like that Chris Rock joke. I take care of my kids. You're supposed to, you stupid motherfucker. They're your kids. They're your kids. <laughs> that's a that's a thing now. So it's not uh it would make sense that this brain shrinking phenomena. Now, my curiosity, of course, is they don't have any they don't have any time stamped testing on this one. So maybe it could be the age of the I love you dad that's causing the shrinking. We don't know. Like, could they go back and do this in the fifties if they could do the, you know, the mechanic or the assembly line worker, does his brain shrink or does he just go back to chain smoking, drinking and dropping dead at 55? I'd be very curious. (laughs) Anyway, I love my kids. I'm pretty sure my brain shrinks because as much as I want to kill them within 20 minutes of being away from them, I immediately want them back. So I believe it. Yeah, I, I I totally buy into it. There there is a transformation that happens. You either you can't describe it, you can't uh, articulate. You you either have to be a parent and a participating parent, I might add, uh, to actually know what's going on. So, I think there is more than just feelings. I think there's a biological impact, and this is very interesting. The shrinking of the cerebrum. Okay. So it says. Kids make you dumber. That's what I got out of this article. (laughs) You don't need that brain anyway. You're just wasting it because you're stupid. (laughs) All right. So uh, what are we going to have here, Leon? Uh, We uh, are we feeling about uh, stuff. We uh, what kind of data we have. Well, I, I got to tell you, um, I try not to make... That's okay, because tr- it's time for Leon Lowe's. So far, Danny, I haven't heard a single logical reason. No, no, don't accept this. It's frustrating. And we haven't cured cancer. We have not cured cancer. I don't know the answer. I'm just ranting about it. Leon, the floor is yours. I try to keep two major subjects from overtaking the show because... 
I'd say 90% of podcasts out there are either about politics or sports. And, uh, those are easy topics. I try, yeah, I try to, I try to stay away from them, but I cannot stay away from this <laughs> sports topic any longer. Uh, I know that this is very common. I think that if you're on social media, you're very familiar with this topic, but I think it's important that we bring it up. I think the future sports? of America. Did you, did you no. say, did you say sports? No sports. No, <laughs> no, no, I did. This is about sports. This is absolutely about okay. sports and not just any sport. The NFL, oh, that is America's sport. Uh, I think uh, everyone needs to just come to terms with the fact that baseball is not America's sport. Uh, football has become America's sport. And, you know, the real one where you hit people. And uh, <laughs> I think, I think we, we Hitting all, people is American. We all know what happened. The NFL got greedy. Uh, and they tried to expand what is the toughest sport into more days of the week. And we all, us, we need to vote with our wallets and say, please stop giving us Thursday night football. Oh. It is total dog shit. It is dog shit. It is a big pile of garbage. It is statistically, go and look at it. I don't have the numbers in front of me. Go look at it. More injuries happen on Thursday night football uh, statistically than any other any other night is that, uh, or day of football. That's because a thing. That's a thing. And the reason is they're, they're not prepared. They're not prepared. They need more time to heal their bodies, to get over the battle that they went through on Sunday or Monday. And they, they are not ready on Thursday. They're not ready. They didn't watch enough film. They are, their bodies are not ready and they go out there and it is almost laughable on how unprepared and how, and the unlaughable part is how injured they get. We all know I'm a Dolphins fan. Right, diehard Dolphins fan. Oh, Tua, and Tua, Tua's big injury happened. Big surprise Thursday night. Now, why did it happen? A lot of spec speculation out there. I happen to be one of those people uh, that, yeah, he probably had a concussion the Sunday prior. He did not have a enough time to recover. He goes out on Thursday night and gets smashed in the head again, or his head bangs on the ground, and he has a really serious concussion. And uh, it, that that game was only interesting because of that injury. In all honesty, the next two weeks of Thursday night football was laughable. I think they had no touchdowns. The next one, they didn't get another touchdown till late in the second quarter of the 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 Thursday night. After that, even the commentators were like, "For the love of God, we need to get a damn touchdown. This is embarrassing." And I think we deserve a better product. And I think the players out there that are working their ass off and trying to prepare and get their bodies ready to go out there and go to battle and beat themselves up for our entertainment, they need that time. So we need, we need to vote. <laughs> we need to get these greedy sons of bitches out of there and say, Thursday night is not a good football night. Stop it. Stop it. Sunday, Monday. We're on board. We're on board all day long. Thursday, let it go. Let's let let's let high schools and college let them have Thursdays. But NFL, no way. It's just too fast. It's it's too high rate of speed. There's too much bullshit happening. These guys are getting hurt. They're ruining the sport. They're ruining their brand. And uh, I I know that this rant will not change Mr. Goodell's uh, opinion because the money is too good. I really have never felt bad for Amazon in my whole life, but boy, did they get a shit deal when they bought this Thursday night contract? Everyone knows that it's, it's, you know, the, uh, again, I don't know the answer. <laughs> I'm just ranting about it, but I'm pretty sure the answer is, not to have Thursday night football. 
I, I don't think anyone's going to cry about it. I don't think any of the fans are going to cry about it. Nobody cherishes Thursday night football. This was thrown upon us. And uh, I, there's a lot of people who just don't even know it's on. So it seemed a bit uh, of a waste for Mr. Michaels to take all that money only to go to a shit show. Huh? It is. It is an Enough absolute Collinsworth all alone on Sundays, which I'm not, I'm not necessarily like, don't cry for Collinsworth, but. I actually like Herbie calling the games too. Like he's not bad. I think he'll be, if they want him to call more NFL games, I, I think that he's the right man for it. I think he's, he is. I, I am, I'm actually disappointed being an Ohio state fan. You know, I'm a big Ohio state fan mm-hmm, and he's an sure. Ohio state guy, uh, Herb street. And I think, um, I was going to hate Tony Romo as an announcer. I hate, I wanted to hate him, but he was spot on. Yeah. Like he called the plays. He's good. And what, the, and what he was looking and, and, and Herbie does the same thing. He is all over it. He is absolutely calling it. Uh, and you know what, if you hate him, you hate him because, but you need to take a serious look at yourself. If you hate those two guys, because it's probably something else, but not the way that they're calling the game because yeah. they're pretty fucking good at it. Those I don't know anybody else. Exciting. They do. They know what they're talking about. I don't want them to know that. Well, I'm Herbie. I do, but I didn't want Romo to, and Romo's spot on. And I'm like, yeah. I, I appreciate listening to him more than almost anybody else. Yeah, I mean, Chris it's, Collins it seems pretty clear. He's too. a better broadcaster than he was a quarterback. Yeah, he, he picks it apart. And and uh, I, I think production-wise, they're on top of it. They got the right talent there. They're, everything's going, except for the product sucks. And it will never get better unless you give the Thursday night guys are only the ones that are coming off a buy. So you give them I, that's like That's what I was going to say. Why don't we just do that? Yeah. Why don't we just have Thursdays be coming off a buy? Then, then I'm okay with it. But that isn't the way it is now. Like so the only the, the only disadvantage maybe is if you have a Thursday game followed by a Monday night game, and then you've got a week and a half of rest. Oh, tragedy. Other than that, you're right. From Sunday to Thursday, because you've got travel days, you don't get a chance you. to do an accurate workout. You don't get a chance to do accurate rest. So nope. the only way it makes any sense at all is if you do a Sunday at home and a Thursday at home, maybe. Right. Yeah, then even then, anywhere, then you enough. can just dedicate yourself to rest. It's, it's going to give you a better advantage for sure, but it still sucks because they need those extra three days of time in the ice bath, time in the film room. They need it. They need Sleep. it in yeah. the sport. They need, they need to rest. They need to get their bodies ready to go. And I think that it just isn't ready on Thursday. And it's, it's, it's a stark difference. Go look it up. Go look up the injuries on Thursdays no, versus any other night. I think it's the, not, the Bob's out there should look it up for sure, but I, I believe it. Uh, so. Fitting that you picked a sports topic tonight, Leon, because today is the first of the great sports equinox days. No shit. The greatest day in American pro sports. Welcome to the 2022 sports equinox. It's that rare alignment in the sports calendar when all five major American professional sports leagues are in action at the same time. Not to be confused with dead day or black day or the day when no sports are on, which typically Mm -hmm. happens sometime in April, I believe. Uh, But tonight, the sports equinox will happen on, oh, it'll happen tonight, which is we're, we're recording on a Thursday the 20th, and it will happen again on the 23rd. Uh, the sports equinox will happen on Sunday, but today marks the first day of the year where Major League Baseball, National Football League, National Basketball Association, National Hockey League, and Major League Soccer all play games on the same day. Five-course meal. It is Fall is the greatest time for sports. Eat your heart it- out, baby. Let's see, today we got, uh, as of this recording, we got the Yankees and the Strohs. We got the Saints and the Cardinals tonight, Thursday night football. Let's see if Thursday night football redeems itself. Bucks Uh, and the Sixers. one in hockey. Yep. Bucks and the Sixers and the Clippers and the Lakers played b-ball. Then you got the Devils and the Islanders, the Jets at the Golden Knights and a bunch of other hockey games. And then in the world of soccer, you've got the Philadelphia Union and Football Club Cincinnati versus Los Angeles Football Club and the LA Galaxy. Hmm. There you Sports go. equinox. Sportsing so sportsing hard. Yeah. So, so th- let's talk about that. We like to make fun of Madden, right? 
Mm-hmm. About oh, here's a guy. You just got to put the ball in the end zone. It's the only way to score. Boom. The only, I heard the only way to win the game is to score more points. Yeah. Boom. So the other one I heard tonight was this is when you're talking, not the coach. This is when you're talking to the players. Like, yeah, we just got to get out there and make plays. You know, like all these guys working out there on the field, and like we, we all we all together, and we trying to just make plays. And it's like you know, the team that makes more plays is just going to make more points. You know what I'm saying? We get, so like we, we gotta just got to go play together. Execute. We got to make more plays. You know, we got to execute the plan that was put for us. Uh, you know, you know, we got to be executed. First of all, I want to say glory to God. Uh, and then I want to say we just need to execute the plan. Just got to execute better. You know what I'm saying? Like, we got to put more plays together. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, mm-hmm. all right, so at some point, either they don't want to talk to the press or they're worried about blowback from the sports writers, which I kind of get. And the sports writers should know that. Listen, if you're going to be a dick, you ruin it for everybody. And then all you're going to get is, well, we sport balled better than the other team sport balled. So we're going to sport ball in the future better than the other team sport balls. And that's the way we get to the sport ball championships. So this whole bullshit about, you know, we got to make plays. We got to execute. We just, we could have done a lot better than we did, but we didn't because we didn't do as good as we wanted to do. That's on the fault of the sports journalism. Yeah. They put them in that corner. Assholes are fucking shit up for everybody else. That's why you can't get a good soundbite out of these guys. Yeah. And Marshawn Lynch is a hero. I mean, what he did was hilarious. He's a hero among all. Yeah. What he, what he did, uh, basically publicly sit out for all of you who don't know who he is. He's a running back. Uh, he he played for Seattle and he played for Oakland. He's not, he doesn't play anymore. Um, but he used to hate the media so much. And then he didn't, he would just walk out of the media room until he realized he was contractually obligated to go talk to those guys. So all he would do is go out there and just say no comment over and over or eat chips or just troll the hell out of them because he was so sick of being misquoted or he would say something and they would go down the wrong road. $11,000 per missed media event. Mm-hmm. And he finally said, F that. I do not wish to comment. Yeah. So did yeah. you play a good game today? I do not wish to comment. So was yep. it raining outside the stadium? I do not wish to comment. Yeah. It was, it was glorious and, and a masterclass on how to troll the media. And I think everyone should respect what he did. And there. I think everybody should understand what he's trying to tell you and you should listen. Mm-hmm. Excellent load, Leon. Well done. That brings us to the bottom of the bottle. This bitch is empty. Yeet! Nice bottom of the bottle. Leon comes to us on the precipice of the holidays, my friend. We have entered October, which means it is now autumn, which means it is now, quote, unquote, the holidays. Yeah, that's what all the stores tell me. We're going to start hearing all I want for Christmas is you. <laughs> <laughs> I miss Mariah Carey. It's glorious. The nice bottom of the bell. It's a twofer. Number one, Mariah Carey is the first artist to top Billboard's Hot 100 in four separate decades. The 20s, the 10s, the aughts, and the 90s. For those of you keeping score at home, she has a number one song. And it's the same fucking song. Bottom of the bottle, part two. Also Mariah Carey themed. Mariah Carey makes love with her own music playing in the background. Which I totally respect. Mm-hmm. You're Which telling you me. Do you think, think Barry White didn't you do the same thing? You got me feeling emotions. No, that's probably not. It's probably. Um, <laughs> the Mariah Carey sex song. Um, Dream fantasy. Oh, that was a good one. That was the one where she had that flannel on. That was the one that, uh, yeah, that, that, uh, that one. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's a beat. Just depends what she's in for that night. Yeah. We got to go through Mariah Carey's catalog now. We got to understand what she's talking to. Some pace. Her and her and Nick Cannon. So you're telling me though, like this can't be unusual. I promise you Marvin Gaye did it and Barry White did it. Well, listen, Marvin Gaye and Barry White, I don't think they count. Do you think that Papa Roach goes every time they get down, they go, cut my life into pieces because I know the radio plays it way too much. 
<laughs> no, but I think Rod Stewart. And you know Tom Jones. I mean, oh, Tom Jones. Tom Jones can have sex with himself. <laughs> what what's the other I'm I'm totally brain farting on that one dude in Vegas. Black hair. Uh he was in Christmas or Vegas vacation. Hitting on Wayne uh, Newton. You think Wayne, Wayne Newton, Newton does his own stuff? One hundred percent. Yeah. You know what I'm wondering though? What about Neil Diamond? Oh, especially if he's yeah. nailing a girl named Caroline. Bop, which, bop, bop. which I want to say for a Jewish man, he launched a great Christmas album. And I think everyone should reach out 100%. there. Yeah. He's saying the hell out of Christmas. Songs. That reminds me of another funny Jay Moore joke. He's like, do you ever know the people get really, really excited when listening to Neil Diamond songs and they fucking scream it? Like at some point he's on stage, he's going to stop and he goes, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is that you saying, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Come on up here on stage with me. I want you to sing with me. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, Mariah Carey. I'll tell you what, though. What do you think? My new tradition. Uh, whatever the fuck he wants to, but definitely <laughs> Fat Boy Slim. Fat Boy I Slim. Think, yes. Um, I think that uh, uh, if you haven't seen and you're not hoping every year that Mariah Carey will never have another dumpster fire on New Year's Eve, you're you're not one of my friends or anyone I want to know because that is glorious. That is absolutely spectacular when she goes out there three sheets to the wind and cannot sing her own song that she sang five million times and she pulls a full diva. Go watch it. Go watch every single one of them. It's amazing. I always stay up. I stay up to midnight just for that, hoping that Mariah Carey will sing and completely fall flat on her face again. You know what, Leanne? I got to give it to you. What do you think George Michael listened to when he was getting it on? Yep. I got to give it to you. You win. You Hands down. Yeah. I would. Well done, sir. What a pickup line. That's our show. You can email us at bottleofbrown at gmail.com. Call us at 602-529-4562. Leave a message for Danny, Leon, or Mr. Jones. We'll play it on the air. Give us ideas for content or refute anything we say on the show. If you like the show, please like, follow, subscribe, share. Tell everybody you know. It's the best way for us to get more listeners. Hopefully we'll get advertisers who will actually pay. And that way we can do this full time because that is a dream. A very hopeful, long-term dream. Until then, get a dream. you can find us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Share a drink with us next episode. Same brown time, same brown channel. Bottleofbrown.com. This place is dead anyway, man. <laughs>